Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to see you at church today, and uh, we are um, <clears throat> really excited about what the, the what happened with our kids at kids camp. Thank you for kind of celebrating that with us and hearing um, about how God was working uniquely in our kids and watching the slideshow and just celebrating that as a church family. We are in a um, a series called Jesus in Genesis, where we are looking at the very first book of the Bible and um, where we see uh, Jesus in it. And last week, I said that God gets to choose the way that we relate to him. And the way that God gets to choose how we relate to him is through a covenant. And what I want to do today is look more at God's covenant with us and ask, how does this affect us? What does this mean uh, for our lives? And today we're going to talk about a very important way that uh, God's covenant reveals how we are to walk with him. And unfortunately, this really important way um, has been a source of division for Christians for many, many years. And we'll talk about what that is in a minute. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 17 if you brought a Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible um, and would like one, please come and see me after the worship service because I would love to give you a Bible. We do have some in the chairs. um, And my wife pointed out this morning, I don't think we have enough Bibles in the chair. So... Um, if you don't have a Bible, see if you can find one in the chair in front of you or to the left or the right, and maybe work on getting some more Bibles in our our seats for you guys. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, starting with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made, for, I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you shall keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now I want to talk, by the way, leave your Bible open because we're going to keep reading uh, in a little bit. Uh, I want to talk a little more about this covenant that God makes with Abraham and and ask, what does this mean for us? Um, And sometimes when we talk about covenant, 
it can be a little confusing because as you look in your Bibles, you will see many times historically where God is making a covenant or reintroducing a covenant to his people and we can ask questions. Okay, how do these covenants fit together? Is there one covenant? Is there more than one covenant? Um, how do we how do we make sense of it? And sometimes the way that God introduces these covenants, they they seem a little different, and it can be confusing. Which one applies to us? So look at at verse one in your in your your text. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully. And be blameless. And that might be a little confusing because blameless is, um, you know, that's, a, that's an extreme word. And God is saying, I want you to walk in this way. I want you to be blameless before me. It seems to be a pretty oppressive stipulation that God puts on Abraham in this covenant. What is this covenant that God is making with Abraham? Well, <clears throat> That word blameless, what it really means is whole. And it wasn't that God was asking Abraham, okay, now you need to live perfectly before me. You need to live a, a sinless life now that you're in this covenant with me. That's, that's really not what God was saying. God was saying, I want you to be wholehearted. I want you to be wholehearted towards me. You know, sinlessness is how we must live before God if God is saying you need to earn your way into my favor. That's not what God is asking of Abraham. Live wholeheartedly before me. What God is asking Abraham, what he's asking us, he just says, I want you to, I want you to love me with your whole heart. I want you to love me with your whole heart. So it's not this oppressive covenant that God is making with Abraham and that he extends to us. So what we see is, as we look through the Bible about covenant, one overriding point that I want us to get is this. God relates to us through a covenant of grace. And that never changes. God relates to us through a covenant of grace. There's one covenant of grace throughout the Scriptures. Now, what can be a little confusing, like I mentioned before, is that sometimes it seems like God presents some different rules for this covenant. Let me give you an example. It's not but a few hundred years later, 400 or so years later, that God gives Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai something very important. And those of you who know what happened at Mount Sinai know what it is. God gave the Israelites and Moses the Ten Commandments and said, Obey. (laughs) Obey. And we can miscommunicate this. We can misinterpret this, not miscommunicate it. Well, actually, we can miscommunicate it as well. Um, We can misinterpret this and think, oh, okay, so God is changing the rules here, isn't he? He just, Abraham, just just follow me, trust me. And now he's saying, now follow the rules. And we get kind of confused with it. It doesn't seem like a covenant of grace. Is this a new covenant, one based on our good works that God is implementing with the Ten Commandments? That's not really it. Obedience was not going to save the Israelites. That is not the system that God was implementing all of a sudden. God's grace was going to always save the Israelites. And if we don't see this, then we might ask this question. Maybe you've asked it. Doesn't God kind of seem fickle when we look at him in the Bible? Like the Old Testament, he's 
acting one way in the New Testament, he's acting differently. Is God fickle? Has he changed the rules on us? Obedience was never God's plan to save the Israelites. It was through his grace. And the Apostle Paul, he gets this. And whenever we ask, was God changing the rules? Paul said, no, 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 no. God wasn't changing the rules. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul's overall point is showing what is the purpose of the law. And here's what he says. The law, introduced 430 years later after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant that he made with Abraham, previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. So it wasn't, wasn't hey, just follow me and I'll be your God. And then all of a sudden God's saying, but well, now you've got to obey in order to say my good graces. And what Paul goes on to say is the law actually was meant to, and he kind of puts it like this, imprison people in their sins, to make people so aware of their sinfulness that they recognize, oh my gosh, I need the grace of God. See, it's always been a covenant of grace that God has established with us. And in our Genesis 17 story, God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a sign of this covenant of grace that I'm making with you. See, God likes to use images to convey truths. Now, God put this image of a a rainbow in the sky for, for Noah and Noah's descendants. As a sign, you don't have to worry about me ever destroying the world with a flood again. It was a sign of this truth that God was making. Later on, with the Israelite people, God wanted them to know of his his constant presence with them. And so God says, I want you to to build a box. (laughs) Call it the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark will be a sign of my constant presence with you. Later today, we're going to, the service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We use bread, we use grape juice as signs of a truth. Jesus' body, broken, blood, spilled out for the redemption of our sins. So God uses signs. And he gives this sign to Abraham as a massive moment. (laughs) What is the sign that God gives to Abraham? Look at verse 10. The sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, it's circumcision. And in verse 10, God says, I want all of the males among you to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was not unique to the Israelites. It was done by different nations around them. Not every nation, but some of the nations that lived in that region of the world, they practiced circumcision. At this time, why did God choose circumcision as a sign for his people? So I want to just talk about circumcision a little bit. What does circumcision mean for God's Old Testament Israelite people? Well, one, uh, circumcision was a sign of cleansing through blood. Because circumcision is a bloody act. There was blood everywhere. And God chose that sign intentionally. Blood must be shed in making you right with God. 
is, is the message. Blood must be shed. You know, when Moses read the law that God gave to the Israelites, Ten Commandments and, and other laws that accompanied that, when Moses read that aloud for the first time uh, to the Israelites, he had bulls slaughtered. And he took the blood. And he, he did different things with the blood. But one of the things that he did with the blood is he sprinkled the blood, bull's blood, on people. Imagine if we did that today. It, it would that probably not as many people would show up to church if you were being sprinkled with blood as we read God's word. But that's what happened. He was sprinkling blood on the Israelites as the law was read. What what did that mean? Remember, it wasn't their obedience that was going to save the Israelites. God was pointing out something else. The shedding of blood is making you clean. And, of course, we would say that that act, the the sprinkling of that blood, it wasn't pointing to animal sacrifices, was it? We would say that sprinkling of blood was pointing much further in the future to the blood of Christ that would be shed. Circumcision, nothing about circumcision. It marked you as belonging to God's family. So let me pick up in verse 12 with uh, Genesis 17. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, eight days old, must be circumcised, including those born in your household or or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. If it's a male in your household, he needs to be circumcised. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, isn't that interesting? God says there is a, uh, a consequence if you do not get circumcised. That consequence is there will be a cutting off. God, but, 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 but God doesn't say if you're not circumcised, you will be cut off. From me, that's not what he says. He says, if you are not circumcised, you will be cut off from who? From your people. Isn't that interesting? The consequence is that you will be cut off from your people. See, God's covenant with Abraham was about building up this new people of God, this nation that belonged to God, this family of people. Abram was his original name means exalted father. Abraham Abram was going to be now known as Abraham, which means the father of many. So it's often said that this is when Abraham goes from being daddy to big daddy. God was building a nation, a family of faith through Abraham. So failure to keep the covenant would include the whole family consequence or the whole family. This morning, we, 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 we had these preteens come up, talk about camp and what God did in their life at camp. Why, why are we doing that? Because we're a family. That's what you do with pictures, right? You show the family pictures. We're showing the family pictures. We're supporting our family. I know a lot of people donated to help you know, reduce the cost of camp for our campers. 
It's what you do with your family members. God's building up a family of faith. Circumcision was a sign of that. Another thing about circumcision, outward circumcision was a sign of an inner act. You know, another um, mistake that we can make when we read the Old Testament is thinking, it, it seems like God is just interested in outward acts, rituals. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about all these purity codes, all this outward commands, stipulations that people must follow. All those animal sacrifices, all these outward acts. But in the New Testament, it seems like God's all about the heart. But, but look at this. Look, this is from the Old Testament, um, the prophet of Jeremiah. He says, circumcise, this is in the Old Testament, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. You people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. There is this inward action that the outward expression of circumcision was to represent. God's about the heart in the Old Testament as well. Remember what verse 3 says. Look at verse 3. In your scripture, it talks about God calls out to Abraham. What does Abraham do? He falls face down before God. The circumcision for Abraham was not just this rote ritual, this just mindless, heartless act that Abraham was to do. Just do the ritual, Abraham. Let's get over with. It was to represent a heart of his that was soft towards God, that bowed low towards God. It was an outward act that represented something going on in Abraham's heart. So that's circumcision in the Old Testament. What does all of that mean for us today? Because today as Christians... We say that circumcision is not a necessary act for Christian males. So what does all this mean for us today? In this story, we see something really important that God does, and it's, it's this. God uses sacraments as signs of his covenant. And if you've been coming to church for a while, you might recognize that word, sacrament. Maybe familiar to you. If you haven't been coming to church for a while may not be that familiar to you. It means to, to make holy, set aside holy, to, to be sacred, something sacred and holy. Um, and in church today, we would use it like this. We talk about the sacrament of baptism or sacrament of Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, what's a sacrament? You know, one of the earliest and brief, briefest descriptions of what a sacrament is comes from St. Augustine. So way, 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 way back, hundreds of years ago. And St. Augustine said that a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. Here's something a little longer from um, the Belgic Confession, one of the confessions that the Christian Reformed Church um, holds as a good way to understand the Scriptures. Um, Belgian Confession says, sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible. 
by means of which God works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. I love that. By means of which God works in us. You know what that means? It means sacraments are much more than symbols. It means sacraments are much more than just remembrances. It means God is actually doing something in our life as we engage with the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We don't want to cheat the sacraments because we don't want to cheat the grace of God. Now, having said that, the sacraments are not like vending machines. <laughs> vending machines, there's a, there's a demand at play with a vending machine. If I put in a dollar in the vending machine and I don't get a Coke, I'm going to get pretty demanding. I'm going to start looking really silly because I'm going to take that vending machine and I'm going to be doing this or you give me my Coke or just looking foolish. I'm going to start demanding that vending machine if I don't get my Coke once I put my dollar in there. That is not how sacraments work. It's not like I want more grace in my life. God, give me some grace. And then we just start downing the Lord's Supper. That's not how it works. That sign, circumcision, was to represent a soft heart towards God. And we engage in the sacraments in the same way, with a soft heart towards God. Sacraments are not about demanding grace from God. They are about receiving grace from God in whichever manner of grace God wants to give us in the moment. More on that in a second, by the way. All right, talking about sacraments. Uh, Next point, the sacrament of baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of our covenant with God. And let me show you one of the clearest scriptures on this. And that is Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. It says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. When you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Let's unpack that a little bit. In him. Who is he talking about? In Christ. You were circumcised with a circumcision not, by, not performed by human hands. So this, this spiritual circumcision that is taking place, in fact, it is Christ who performs this spiritual circumcision on our hearts. Just as the physical circumcision in the Old Testament was to represent a spiritual circumcision, the same thing is at play here. Christ spiritually circumcises our hearts. Having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism carries on what circumcision signifies. For Christians today. Now, baptism. Beginning of the sermon, I mentioned this thing that has been dividing Christians for many years. That's baptism. Baptism is something that has divided Christians, and in some bad ways. Why is that? Well, people can have some really, really strong, passionate beliefs about baptism, and that is not a bad thing. To have strongly held beliefs about something very important about our faith. 
But unfortunately, it hasn't been uncommon for people with strongly held views about baptism to actually start looking down on other people's views about baptism, both views being received through the Scriptures. It's not like one group is saying, no, we don't care about the Scriptures, we're going to make up our own rules about baptism. No, 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 no. Different ways of understanding the Scriptures leading to different beliefs about the practice of baptism. You know where there's not there's room for that? There's not room for, and guess what? I'm superior in my thought about baptism. I'm going to look down on you. When that happens, there's these divisions that have taken place. And I want to encourage us all to have humble hearts along with strong beliefs. <laughs> so having said all that, you know, this continuity between circumcision and baptism, this is why our church, this is why Christian Reformed churches, this is why Presbyterian churches, this is why um, many Reformed congregational churches, this is why we practice infant baptism and baptize young children of Christian parents. It's because baptism is this new sign of the covenant that was started with circumcision in the Old Testament. In Genesis 17, who gets circumcised? Abraham gets circumcised. His 13-year-old son, um, Ishmael, gets circumcised. And every boy in his household was to be circumcised. Eight days or older, God says, needs to be circumcised. Now, you, you might wonder, so why, why doesn't God just say what many people today say of baptism? Just get baptized when you're old enough to make a profession of faith. Why didn't God just say, just get circumcised when you're old enough to make a profession of faith? Why not? I think it's this. At least one important reason. Because God wants us to know he claims us and not the other way around. It's not we claim God. God claims us. It's God who taps on our hearts and we respond to that tapping. We, don't, we can't respond to God before he taps on our hearts. He chooses us to be in his family, not we ask him to be in his family. He chooses us to be in his family. He comes to us when we cannot come to him. Can a person will him or herself to be born? No way. Not in the least. Baptism is the sign that God's grace has given us new birth. We are reborn spiritually into God's family. So... Baptism is the sign, let's talk about baptism, it's a sign that we are cleansed from our sin and reborn into God's family. We use water. We use water to symbolize that we've been washed from our sins, cleansed from our sins. Take a bath with water to wash your body. That's one of the things that water represents. Cleansing from our sins. Just like Blood of circumcision represented that in the Old Testament, the cleansing of your sins. So so why did God just not carry on with circumcision? If it represented the cleansing of sins and the the blood doing that, why, why switch it up? Why water now, not blood? Or why water instead of blood? You see, there was a shedding of blood that would come 
much later after Abraham, right? That cleansed us from our sins once and for all. And so therefore, no blood is longer is any longer necessary for the cleansing of our sins because Jesus has shed his blood on the cross. No more is necessary. That's why God says circumcision. It's not my sign anymore. Now it's baptism because that blood has already been shed. And just as circumcision was a sign of being in God's family, so baptism is our sign that we have now been reborn as sons and daughters into God's family. Now, I want to finish the story. Jump ahead to verse 23. And let's see what happens. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or or bought with his money, every male in the household, and he circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Notice what that says of Abraham. On that very day, he and his son were circumcised. On that very day. Listen, it would not have surprised me at all, at all if that story went something like this. God told Abraham to be circumcised, and Abraham thought, well, you know, I got some more things on my to-do list later this afternoon. It's going to be evening, and uh, can we just put this off tomorrow? But that's not what Abraham does. On this very day said, I'm going to get circumcised. And every male in my house will get circumcised. That's being wholehearted towards God, isn't it? And I want to ask you, if you are a Christian, and you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? On this very day, Abraham said, I'm going to... We're going to move through with the circumcision thing. Have you been baptized? Why get baptized? As you may be a believer and think, you know, I don't really like getting up in front of people and going through this. Is it really important, baptism? Why get baptized? Um, one, not to be saved. That's not why to be baptized. Water baptism doesn't bring you salvation. Romans chapter 4, uh, 9 verse 10 is very, 9 and, and verses 9 and 10 is really clear on this. Um, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? You tell me, was it after? No, it was before he was circumcised. God said, I credit your faith as righteousness. It's not after, but before. Just like with Abraham's circumcision, you get baptized because you are in God's family, not in order to get into God's family. In other words, we are baptized with water to reflect our salvation, not to affect our salvation. Now that Baptism with water represents 
a spiritual baptism that does take place through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, that is what rebirths us into God's family. and We receive salvation. This is not to be saved. And here's why it's important to be baptized. As a means of grace. God brings grace into our life in a fuller way through the sacraments. How? Lots of ways. The sacraments remind us who we are. We're deeply loved children of God. Every time we are baptized, every time we see someone baptized, every time we, we celebrate communion, we are reminded of who we are. We are deeply loved children of God. We remember how pleased God is with us. We remember that we've been washed clean from our sins. We are spotless before God. God does not look at us and think, oh, look at those sinners. He sees us as clean and pure. There's no condemnation. We have his delight. This is what we remember. This is what we see. This is the grace that that God reveals to us through the sacraments. And don't you see, when we know that God is delighted in us, that he doesn't see us as sinners, he sees us as, as pure, beloved children, don't you see how that would just free us up? We don't have to be envious of others. We don't have to get angry and bitter and and hold on to resentment when others wrong us. Why? Because God is delighted with you. You have, I mean, it's one thing for this person to be delighted with you. That's kind of nice. But when God is delighted with you, I can take or leave this because I have his delight. That's the grace that God gives to us as we as we celebrate the sacraments. We need the sacraments in order to grow. In other words, God God empowers us through his grace. See, my life, I mean, God gives me some responsibility in my life. My life is my work, but even more so, it's God's work to grow me. Look at what Paul says. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, I planted the seed. He's just talking about how we grow. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. When you, when you grow something, you have to put it in the right conditions for it to grow, right? You need sunlight, you need nutrients, you need water for, for it to grow. And, and what the sacraments are, it's, it's just for being obedient to God and, put, and, and participating with God and getting in the right Conditions, the right circumstances for God then to grow us through his grace. God says we need the sacraments because he knows how he made us. I want us to see this. Another reason to get baptized. Refusing the sign is an act of pride. Um, Real interesting story. Um, We'll to wrap up with this. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 7, and King Ahaz and the Israelites are being threatened by foreign invaders. And um, God tells King Ahaz, I want you to ask me for a sign that I will protect you. Ask me for a sign. God tells it to Ahaz either himself or through his prophet Isaiah. Ask me for a sign. And King Ahaz says, I will not ask the Lord for a sign. And it kind of seems like a faithful act, right? I won't put the Lord to the test. I don't need to put the Lord to the test. I know I'll be faithful. That's we think. It's a good thing. I don't need a sign from the Lord. 
And Isaiah says, that's sin. That's, that's a bad thing. <laughs> you refusing to ask the Lord for a sign. Now, John Calvin kind of writes a commentary on this. And here's what John Calvin says. This is why it's, it's sin. John Calvin writes that refusing the sign is a statement of pride. It's thinking, I don't need that. I don't need that grace from God. I don't need what God will give me. I don't need that grace that God wants to work in my life through that sign. It's a statement of pride. And when we think, ah, I'm a believer, but I don't need baptism. You know how it comes across? It comes across as pride before God. You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples and baptize and baptize. And I hope we will just take Jesus' great commission seriously and in our hearts and do that. And do that. And if you haven't been baptized and would like to, I want you to think about that. If you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, just think about that and come, come to me and let's talk. Let's talk about that. Just remember Abraham. That very day, he received that sign of the covenant. That very day. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we, um, we thank you that you give us grace when we don't deserve it. You give us grace when we haven't done anything, anything to merit it, to deserve it, to earn it. We can't earn your grace you freely give us your grace. We thank you for that blessing. We pray that we would be so open to grace at every moment from you as we get ready to celebrate your body and blood shed for us. You give us your grace in Jesus' name.